0: Good morning. I am so delighted uh, to be here. It seems like Mandy and I have spent a lot of time in this place the last 30 years. And it seems like maybe once a year, I have this awesome, awesome privilege and responsibility of having this pulpit. It just humbles me. I'm uh, blessed out of my mind. I, 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 I think... I enjoy the worship just about as much as I enjoy anything. Just as an eagle needs thermals to fly and a sailboat needs winds to sail, a car needs gasoline to run, so do you and I need praise and worship to thrive. And I'm so thankful for Troy and his worship team and so I'm looking forward to seeing all of you next hour uh, because he does a whole other thing. And then we'll see you again at 11, 1115. At and he does a whole another, so it is really kind of neat. Uh, we uh, start off a little bit slower at eight o'clock. Why? Because my 95-year-old dad goes to this service and that's just the way he likes it. <laughs> And so they're very kind to give him the kind of worship service that he would like. Uh, My grandkids, on the other hand, they come to a whole other conclusion. Yeah, they're funny. Uh, Sherlock Holmes. Oh, yeah, I get here today, and and Pat Sullivan says, so don't spend more than uh, 20, 25 minutes on the debt limit. So... uh, So, I'm going to do a few things in the Word, and then we'll get to the really, really important things on the debt limit. Because I know you're just dying, sitting on the edge of your seat, to hear about that. Sherlock Holmes went on a camping trip with his buddy Watson. They had a great day. Pitched a tent, built a campfire, had a great meal. The middle of the night... Sherlock Holmes nudged Watson and says, Watson, Watson, look up, look up. What do you see? And Watson wakes up and looks up and says, well, I see stars. And Sherlock Holmes says, Watson, what do those tell you? He says, well, astronomically, it, it tells me that uh, there are thousands of galaxies and trains of stars. And astrologically, it tells me that Saturn, Saturn is in Leo. And, and horologically, it tells me it's about 3.30 in the morning. And theologically, it tells me that God is big and I'm very small. And, and, and meteorologically, it says we're probably going to have a great weather day tomorrow. Why, Sherlock? What do all those stars tell you? He says, Watson, you idiot. Someone has stolen our tent. <laughs> One might think that when you choose the topic, the Eighth Commandment, thou shall not steal. What is there that we don't get about that? Don't. Amen we're done. Well, uh, it was funny that this summer in June, uh, Wayne Grudem and I uh, flew to uh, Philadelphia to do a weekend seminar on the Eighth Commandment. And we presented a paper, as did many, many other scholars. Oh, my, my, is there a lot to say about the Eighth Commandment. But I get to say what I want to say, not what a bunch of academic theological scholars want to say. And thou shalt not kill, uh, excuse me, steal, <laughs> that was the one before, uh, uh, it probably is the most important fundamental economic principle ever laid down by God or by man and so to say the least I'm pretty enthused about sharing some ideas with you we'll look at genesis we'll look at the old testament we'll look at the new testament let's start with genesis 1:1 god uh, clarifies so much in 10 words in the beginning god created the heavens and the earth? In the beginning, God. Uh, that denies atheism with its doctrine of no gods. Uh, that denies polytheism with its doctrine of many gods. No, no. In the beginning, God. In the beginning, God created. That denies evolution with its doctrine of infinite becoming. It denies fatalism with its doctrine of chance. No, no. In the beginning, God created created God created the heavens and the earth that denies materialism that asserts the eternity of matter that is the earth and all of that the universe it's been here forever no no in the beginning God God created the heavens and the earth no no It denies materialism. It denies pantheism that says that God is in the stars or the moon or the sun or even an animal. No, no. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and there we have it, ten words. And those ten words, when we think about the creation, let's be honest, it's just really... Better than wonderful. Think about it. The earth, just the right distance from the sun, 93 million miles away. If we were any closer to the sun, we'd burn up. Any further from the sun, we would freeze to death. Just perfect. There's got to be just the uh, uh, right amount of hydrogen, oxygen on the earth. How's God going to do that? With the right amount of water. How much water is it? Two-thirds of the earth is filled with water. So that would be just exactly right. Uh, God spins this earth. I mean, this, what, what an idea in heaven as they put this thing together. The earth is rotating 1,000 miles per hour, rotating on its axis, and then spinning around the sun once a day to give us night and day. God set that earth at a 23 degree axis had he not done that we would not have had the seasons of the year so we can go on and on I mean it is perfect perfect God created it just right for us he really really knew what he's doing and yet we can say do we trust God or do we trust man I mean there are some that have said the probability of all of this synchronized system coming together it's like walking down a beach and finding a Rolex watch and picking it up and say gosh that's cool it just happened it just, no, no, it didn't just happen. Anything that is synchronized has a is a designer. Where there's design, there is a designer. No, no. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And he didn't do it in such a way one scientist had said the probability of all of this coming together in exactly the right way is the same probability of, as a tornado blowing through a junkyard and creating a 740 hardly so this beautiful synchronized system in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth and then in Genesis 1 it says that man is created in God's image that we are image bearers image bearers of God that you and I have value we have worth We have dignity. So, do we trust God that we have value, worth, and dignity, or do we trust man from goo to the zoo to you? Hey, there's an idea. There's only one problem with goo to the zoo to you, and that is no spirit, no eternal life, no truth, No, nothing. We're just another animal crawling along on this earth. Are you kidding me? In the beginning, God created man in his image. And indeed, we are image bearers of God. And then in Genesis one twenty-eight, do you think that God created this incredible earth this incredible universe and it all is synchronized like 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 a wristwatch and it all works perfectly and he puts all these resources on you know and it's so funny that man keeps saying we're running out we're running out oh we're going to be out of energy we're going to be out of energy do you know that now that we can do horizontal digging and hydraulic fracking that we have found the greatest gas fields in the whole world that we have hundreds and hundreds if not thousands of years of natural gas, just what has been discovered in the last five years. So you think God left us hanging on a planet without the resources that we need? Hardly. But not only did he do that, this proclamation by God in Genesis 1.28, hey, listen, I want you to flourish. I want you to be fruitful. I want you to multiply. I I want you to fill the earth. I want you to subdue the earth. I want you to have dominion. So God's just excited as he's explained this. And, 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 and. You don't think that God wants us to flourish? Yes, I think so. He made it perfect for us to flourish. Then the question is, How well has man, men and women done over the history of the world as far as flourishing? And I'm sad to report to you that even as late as the end of the 20th century, 11 years ago, that half of the world's population was making less than $2 a day. Half of the world's population, barefoot, following an ox cart, uplifting, uploading heavy stuff into wagons instead of downloading information into a computer. So i got to tell you that the world has struggled with this flourishing, and I'm going to make a proposition right now. The world has struggled because it is messed up on this central proposition, thou shall not steal. We're going to get to that in one minute, only to say, that think tank after think tank and group after group and author after author, why are poor countries poor? Why are rich countries rich? Why do poor countries stay poor? And they've written on it, and they've written on it. Certainly our think tank and the Heritage Foundation and the Wall Street Journal have collaborated in the index of economic freedom for 25 years. We've monitored 165 countries for 25 years and we monitor them on 10 economic variables. And uh, uh, if taxes are too high, I've got to tell you, it hurts you as far as prosperity. If you put on tariffs and don't allow free trade, I've got to tell you, it hurts you as far as creating prosperity. If government is too big and has taken too many of the resources for what it should have, then I, gotta, I promise you, it hurts us as far as prosperity. If you do not allow free trade and allow not only states to trade, but states to trade with other nations and people to trade with other nations then it hurts. So we look at those 10 economic variables over and over and over and, and publish this book. One, two pages per country. How's the country been doing? What is the country doing? What does the last 25 years look like? And then what are they doing now as far as these 10 economic variables? And wouldn't you know it that the very worst one almost every year for 25 years, the worst variable is property rights. The ability to have property rights. The ability to have private property. The ability to have ownership. And this is exactly what God is talking and what we're going to be talking about today. I have a two-minute video that I would like you to look at that puts this point of economic freedom, private property, Ownership, thou shalt not steal in perspective. So if we had run that
1: video, thank you. Two lists for the rest of your life. Which list would you choose? If you're like most people, you would choose A. Let's take a look at why that is. Take Chile and Venezuela. Chile's poverty rate is half that of Venezuela's and its inflation rate is a fraction of the size. Actually, all of List A appears to be better off than B. Look at income per person. It's ten times higher on average in List A. But these lists aren't organized by income. They're organized by economic freedom. List A countries have the most free economies in the world. List B, the least free. Across the globe, we see a strong relationship between economic freedom and people's quality of life. For instance, people in the most free countries earn, on average, over 8 times more than people in the least free. The poor earn 10 times more. People in the most free countries are happier. They have better protected civil rights, cleaner environments, and the average person lives 20 years longer. The freest countries also have less corruption, less infant mortality less child labor, and less unemployment. So if you care about improving people's lives, then you really care about economic freedom. And having economic freedom means your property is protected under an impartial rule of law. You're free to trade with others for what you need and want. Your money keeps its value because your national currency is stable and government stays small relative to the size of the economy. For years, the U.S. was among the world leaders in economic freedom. But over the last decade, the U.S.'s ranking fell, and it's projected to keep falling. The question is, will our quality of life fall with it?
0: Freedom really, really does make a difference. There is a correlation between freedom and prosperity. And so the question then is, as we think of freedom, some said, have put it this way, that uh, property rights are the prerequisite for freedom, and freedom is the mainspring of economic prosperity. So, we're going to dive into probably a chapter in the Bible that you have never never thought of. This is going to be wild. Genesis 23. Try that one on for size. This is the one. This is the one where Abraham, his wife of 127 years dies, and Abraham needs a burial plot for his wife. And so he meets with the Hittites, and the Hittites really like Abraham, and they said, "Choose Any place you want and will allow you to bury your wife. Abraham says, no, no, no. I'm not going to choose it. Yes, I'll choose a place, but I want to buy it. No, no, we don't want you to buy it. We want to give it to you. Abraham says, no, no, I want to buy it. Why does he want to buy it? So that he can own it and control it. Isn't that Abraham's some selfish little... Uh. He wants to own it and control it, well, nice for you well no i 'm teasing there I mean that 's the key that 's the key so i 'm going to read you just uh, one uh, 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 verse out of Genesis chapter twenty three You can look at it at a later time. this is verse uh, uh, two verses seventeen and eighteen, so the feel of Ephron. In Machpelah, which was to the east of Mamre, the field with the cave that was in it, and all the trees that were in the field throughout the whole world area, was made, made over, taken over, given to Abram as a possession in the presence of the Hittites. And that goes on to say how he's going to go on and control this land. Wow. There we go. Right from the beginning... Personal possession, ownership, stewardship, and accountability, Genesis 23. Now we'll move to Exodus chapter 20 and look at those Ten Commandments. The first four of the Ten Commandments, and you're familiar with them, love the Lord, that God, with all their heart, mind, and soul, and don't make any uh, carved images of God, and keep the seventh day holy, and do not profane the name of God. So the first four commandments are some duties that we have to God. But interestingly, the next six commandments are great, great protections. The uh, uh, fifth commandment is honor thy father, mother. Really? Yes, to protect family. The next commandment is thou shalt not kill, to protect life. The next commandment is to thou shalt not commit adultery. That's to protect marriage. Then it says thou shalt not steal. That's to protect property. Then it says, uh, not bear false witness, that is to protect truth, and then you shall not covet, and that's a big umbrella protection of all the ones that we have talked about. So God gives us the Ten Commandments for a very, very special reason, and especially the Eighth Commandment. I, uh, I, I mean, they're all good, but we're ready now to look at this magnificent commandment, thou shalt not steal. See, the minute God says thou shalt not steal, it automatically assumes private property. They own it, you don't, you can't have it. You should not steal. The eighth commandment protects property and possessions. The eighth commandment implies that we have property to care for. Maybe that's one of the reasons why we're on this earth, property to care for. The Eighth Commandment relates to most of your work life and my work life for our lifetimes. And how did God establish it from the beginning as a system of private property? God wants us to flourish. He wants us to achieve, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and sub do and have dominion. What an entrepreneurial statement that is. But that commandment gives us both the opportunity for human achievement by entrusting property to us and the expectation of human achievement by making us accountable stewards. The ownership implied by property gives people the freedom they need to try to be faithful stewards of what God entrust to them. Now, in all of this then, where are we all going to work? And the answer is everywhere. Listen, God created you and me with fairly limited needs. That is to say, food and water and a little medical help and and, and a little housing and a, a little clothing and That's pretty good. He literally created us with limited needs. But now listen to this one. God also created us with unlimited wants. Now, one can rail against that. It's all materialism and everything, but God knew what he was doing when he created us with unlimited wants. Why? When there are unlimited wants, there's unlimited jobs. There'll always be jobs for people. If we only had to meet the needs, the, just the needs of people, we'd get that done fairly fast. But... We have unlimited wants, so you have to have a plow invented before you say, "Gee, a plow is really helpful in growing a crop." Uh, Gee, someone that puts a tractor together—that that's going to work. Uh, electricity, not bad. I think I'll take a little of that. Electricity does a lot of nice things for us. A car, an airplane, and it goes on and on. Yeah, there's none of you. Thirty years ago, it's, I just could not live without my cell phone. Not one of you said that a year, ago, uh, 30 years ago. But now, now this is the funny thing. They did an interview of the low income earners in America, uh, the bottom 20%, and guess what? what has now come on the list of, I just couldn't live without it, a flat screen television. <laughs> D- don't you just love America when American poor uh, 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 mostly have flat screen televisions and two televisions and oftentimes one or two cars and obviously they have air conditioning and obviously they have running water and obviously they have a roof on their, but I'm not putting that down. Trust me. I'm not but isn't it amazing how you but unlimited wants. There will always be jobs. When I was born raised on the farm in eastern Colorado dad and I were one of 90 million farmers. So when I was a kid there was 90 million of us in America in farming. Guess how many people in farming today? Two and a half million. Oh, no, Fifty-seven and a half million and a half million people lost their jobs. Oh, no, bite your fingernails. What? They found jobs. They fa- In fact, that's exactly what you want to happen for farming. You want farming to get productive. You want to take dad and I off that little uh, uh, 40-horsepower little Ford tractor with a six-foot combine and spending days and weeks combining. Now you put one farmer up on a big 35-foot, 40-foot self-propelled John Deere combine roaring through the field 13 miles an hour, one combine doing the work of 5,000 men. Yes. That's why we went from 60 million agriculture to two and a half million. Will they all find jobs? Indeed they will. Why? Because you and I have unlimited wants. We don't even know what we want until we see it. And then we see it, we indeed might like it. I had no idea that I'd dearly, dearly wanted, to go go through a Starbucks, as I did this morning, and buy an apple fritter and a cup of coffee for four dollars and fifty cents. I had no idea. I mean, if I'd have thought of that when Mandy and I were first married, four dollars and fifty cents, that's our grocery money for a week. What is this? So, not long ago, 30 years ago, 35% of us were in manufacturing. 35% of America in manufacturing. Now it's just 9%. Soon, eight, seven, six. Friends, I'm telling you the truth. The factory of the future will only have two employees, a man and a dog. The man will be there to feed a dog, and the dog will be there to make sure the man doesn't touch the machinery. I, um, I look up at the time. I, I, I'm in disbelief, Pat. I, I'm in absolute disbelief. I've got to come back next Sunday. I mean, I have a few more minutes, but this... Okay, thanks. Thanks, you're very kind. Um, so, so, I've got, to, I've got to tell you. I've got to tell you. Freedom is the mainspring. And all you have to look at North Korea South Korea uh, South Korea ten times as rich as North Korea more freedom more bread in South Korea you just have to look at West Berlin East Berlin West Berlin vibrant with economic activity years ago come across checkpoint Charlie East Berlin communist gray drab not many goods on their shelves not many cars on the streets more freedom more bread more freedom per capita income. They're all Germans. They're all one city. Why such a marked contrast? Because of freedom. Why freedom? Because of private ownership. I am so blessed that our country had founding fathers who came from the Judeo-Christian principles of understanding some of the Bible that we've talked about. Genesis 1-1, Genesis 1-27, Genesis 1-28, Genesis 23. Now, Exodus. Uh, I'll flip over to uh, uh, Levit- Leviticus just for a second We're not, it's going to be kind of blurry you're not going to be able to see that but Le- Leviticus makes the same point as Exodus it's a beautiful description of property rights it's a beautiful description of I shall not steal it's a beautiful description D- don't take from the poor leave the edges of your field for the poor and it's a beautiful description of love your neighbor and that's the first time in the Old Testament we see that love your neighbor as you love yourself the Bible then is clear about trusting God, trusting God. Uh, we're going to move to 1 Samuel for a second. Again, uh, this is a situation where the people in in uh, Israel, give us a king, give us a king, give us a king. And Samuel says, no, 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 you don't want a king. And so if we read 1 Samuel 8, verses 10 through 18, you read, y- y- yeah, take a king. The k- king will take and take. will take your sons, take your daughters, take your substance, take the best of your land, pa- take the best. That's what governments do, is take. No, 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 you don't want to trust government. You want to trust God. We are in the same boat in the United States as we're thinking about this. History has taught us that a government big enough to give us everything we want is big enough to take everything we have. A government that a bigger government means a smaller individual. A bigger government means a smaller citizen. Uh, a helping hand always turns into a controlling hand. Uh, what's the difference between a tax collector and a taxidermist? The taxidermist takes only the skin. Defini- the definition of politics, poly, means many. Ticks, a blood-sucking insect. So, when when Wayne Grudem writes his book, 650 pages, Politics According to the Bible, oh, do I recommend this. This this is gonna be a book that over time is gonna change the world 50 years from now, 100 years from now. Uh, there are gonna be more pastors, tens of thousands, if not millions, that read this book. What? The Bible says about politics, and most pastors will say, I didn't know that. I didn't know that. Now they'd have just asked me for my book. It's just got that sentence in there. Uh, uh, Politics. Poly means many. Ticks, a blood-sucking insect. There it is. Uh, divide the well, spread it about. Sharing is no sin. When mine runs out, I plan to shout, let's divvy up again. When it comes to politicians, their palms are soft, their grip lacks, lacks clout, yet they win votes with each handout. So it's, it, for me, it's easy to understand where they come from. No, no. God says, trust God or trust me. David. Unbelievable, successful king. One great thing after another. This is in 2 Samuel. Uh, uh, yeah, thank you. 12, 1 through 7, uh, where David uh, gets up one afternoon, lazily. His armies are out fighting. He's lollygagging in the Tell us. He sees a woman bathing. She's beautiful, she calls her over, gets her pregnant, find out she's married, make sure that her husband has to, your eye has to go to the front lines and be killed. And so in, bam, 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 David uh, uh, disobeys all the commandments in one foul swoop. Thou shalt not covet. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Thou shalt not kill. Way to go, David. Cool. Nathan goes to David, and Nathan says, David, I've got a question for you. What if a rich man who had thousands and thousands of sheep had a visitor come and the rich man went over and took the one sheep that this very poor man had. It was not only just one lamb that had one little ewe lamb, but it was the family pet. This was the, the little lamb that was in the children's laps. This is this the little lamb that ate with the family, slept with the family. This was the family pet, and this rich man killed that lamb to feed his guests. David, what would you think of that man? David says, that man must die. And Nathan says, David, You're the man. David, God gave you everything that man could ever want palaces, gold, power, and you steal that man's wife. There are great consequences of sin. So on your bulletin, it talks about, we're going to talk about living grace, and that's what I want to do. I want to make one point about the New Testament. One place the New Testament, it's mentioned that uh, they have communal sharing of property. So uh, uh, the New Testament must be communistic. No, no. No, that's not what the Bible teaches. That's not what the book of Acts teaches. All through Acts, private property. All through Acts, they did their studies in homes. All, no one made any edicts that you're all going to share. Uh, there's no law to compel common ownership. Peter was clear when he told Ananias and Sapphira, you don't have to sell your property. and and keep the money. You can keep the money if you want to. He was clear. Uh, uh, The Apostle Paul says if a man will not work, he will not eat. So the New Testament is pretty clear about private property. It's not a social construct developed by humans. It was instituted by God. Now how do you and I live it out? How do we live it out? The greatest verse really in the Bible is for by grace are ye saved through faith not of yourselves it is a gift of God not of works lest any man should boast the Christians in this room know that salvation is by him and him alone those of you that have never invited Christ into your life today is the accepted day of salvation I know it's been about property rights. I know it's been about the Eighth Commandment. But i got to tell you, you and I sin like David. Oh, come on. No, no, we do. We break the Ten Commandments all the time. Keep the Lord, don't use the Lord's name in vain. Honoring God, keeping the Sabbath day holy, not coveting, not envying, not having a loose tongue, not, 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 oh, come on. So, so the fact is, every person in this room knows that they have sinned, but a whole bunch of you have said there's only one out on salvation, and that's Jesus. And so that's one of the reasons why we're here to worship and talk, is to say, if you've not asked Christ into your life and asked for forgiveness... You're missing so much. Please do it. I'll just pray. I'm not done yet, but I want to pray for you right now, and you pray with me. Dear Jesus, I do want to get my life squared away. Nobody's kidding anybody. I sin like everybody else, and I need that covered at the cross, and I know it's all but by grace. Thank you for coming into my life. Amen. And then for the rest of us, for living grace, living grace, what, what, what does that look like? What does that look like? Well, guess what? I think the longer you're a Christian, the more you see how big and wonderful God is and how small you are. That doesn't mean that we have to that doesn't mean that we have to think less of ourselves. It only means that we have to think of ourselves less. It doesn't mean that we have to stoop lower than we are normally. No, we can stand tall next to a creator God. He will show us the small smallness of our greatest greatness. Trust me, he will. God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. He's in that business. God is looking for your heart. He's not looking uh, for you. Uh, He's not keeping score. He does not keep notes. He's he's absolutely looking to have a relationship with you. So, So we, you and I, have to start living out who we are. We have to live that out. Who are we? We're redeemed. Who are we? We're saved by grace. It's all by Christ, none by us. Who are we? We are men and women that as we march through life, it is walking through God beside us, our sins in front of us, and we confront them. And there'll be some. All the time, there'll be some. Does God think less of us? No. There's nothing that you can do that's going to make God love you less. There's nothing you can do that's going to make God love you more. No, no, that doesn't happen. So I I see the clock. You know what? I'm not going to get too worried about the clock, because we don't have a 5,000 people to move out of this. So, Pat, I'll just go about another eight minutes. No, I, lie. I won't. I won't. I won't. I, d- I want to end this by, by saying we live out grace. The Bible is full of the doorknob is humility. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in everything with humility look for other people's interests have the same attitude that it was in Christ Jesus, and that though he was God, did not consider equality with God as something to be grasped, but he was willing to become humble. He humbled himself to death, even death on a cross. Jesus humbled himself. He taught humility, the Beatitudes. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are the merciful. You get the picture here. You get the picture when Paul St. Paul talks about love. Love is Patient, love is kind, and then what's his third point? Love is, love is neither anxious to impress, nor does it cherish inflated ideas of its own importance. So, brothers and sisters, we're going to walk out of this place thankful as ever that we've been born and raised in a country that un- understood property rights, understood private property, understood freedom understood limited government, and because we understood all those things, we have all prospered and flourished like no other country on earth. But Wayne and I are doing our book because that little video left something very important out. It's not only all the economics, it's not only the index of economics, but I'll tell you, uh, and uh, property rights, it is spiritual. It's spiritual. It is the spiritual, it's the cultural dimension that's killing people. You look at the cultural dimension, difference between Haiti and Dominican Republic. All the same island, same island. One are dying. Why they're dying? Why? Voodoo. Wrong religion. The other, quite different. Religion is a big deal. Wayne and I want to bring religion, especially Judeo-Christian religion, and especially the Christian religion, because there is salvation. And it's all in Christ. I can hardly wait till I'm with you again. A year from now, we're going to pick up on the debt limit <laughs> and, and other things. So I'll just uh, I'll, I'll do a blessing. Uh, a, a blessing to you, that is. bless. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May his countenance shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May his face be with you and give you peace. And with that, the church said... Amen. Thank you.